Hey, it is the first Sunday of 2022, which means you all have perfect church attendance so far. So congratulations. Um, anybody ever had perfect church attendance before? You all have perfect church attendance, which is awesome. Um, I'm so glad to see you guys here this morning. Uh, special welcome to those of you tuning in online. Uh, if you're somewhere disgusting like Florida or Arizona, it's about 60, 70 degrees here uh, in central Illinois sun is shining. I might just go out this afternoon for a bike ride or something like that. So um, we're, we're glad you're here tuning in online. It is actually really cold here, and uh, uh, we're all jealous that you're somewhere warm and, and fun. And, and maybe you're just in your pajamas at home. I don't know. But uh, thanks for tuning in online. Well, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, and um, so you actually have two options to bring your Bibles uh, to church for the, uh, for the next few weeks. Um, you can bring your devotional book, uh, which has the Bible in it. Those of you who've been reading this have figured this out, or you can bring your, your Bible Bible. Um, and you can also bring um, your cellular mobile, you can bring a tablet, whatever, um, but we are in the, uh, starting a brand new sermon series on the Gospel of John. We're going to spend the next 44 weeks going chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John. I've never done a 44-part sermon series before, Uh, so pray for me, pray for our team of preachers as we go through uh, this book of the Bible. As Jeff said, you know, if 2021 was all about just kind of, you know, Genesis through Revelation, just, you know, genealogies and details and all that, uh, this year is really about digging deep uh, in this one particular gospel, uh, the gospel of John. And um, I know many of you have picked these up. If you haven't, uh, it looks like we've got maybe 10 of these left. And so uh, pick, make sure you pick one of these up. Uh, how many of you started your Bible reading for uh, 2022? Awesome. Very good. Did you guys do your Bible reading for today? Yes? Okay. Awesome. Today's Bible reading was super short, right? Because uh, what we're doing is uh, on uh, Sundays, you, it's kind of a, sabba- it's kind of a, a sabbatical or a, a Sabbath, if you will. So there's not the reading in here. It's just simply coming to church on Sunday morning and hearing uh, the gospel uh, message uh, read. So make sure you're following along in your uh, Bible reading plan for 2022. Um, Some other really good news uh, to report is that 60 of you have signed up to uh, participate in a life group in 2022, which is awesome. I don't know if that's our highest number ever, but uh, those life groups are going to meet twice a month. And um, if you've kind of been on the bubble, kind of like, should I uh, join a a life group or not? Uh, There are signups in the back. Uh, Many of our life group facilitators uh, are here this morning. So if you've got any questions, it's not too late for you to um, join and participate in a life group this year. You know, throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the New Testament especially, there's this phrase that comes up over and over, one another, one another. 59 times this phrase, one another, comes up. Love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. You know, it's this idea um, to really one another, one another. And so what we're really trying to lean into and live into is this idea of one anothering one another. And you can't one another one another if you're not one anothering one another. You know what I mean? 
Yes, and this is why we are one anothering uh, one another uh, in these life groups in 2022. So I'm really excited about this um, and digging deep and having conversation with so many of you uh, about um, what it means to really dig into God's word together and to be in relationship with one another. All right, did I give you enough time to, to get to the gospel of John? Y'all there? All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that as we open your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit might meet us, that your Holy Spirit might guide us, that your Holy Spirit might uh, invite us to walk deeper with you as we walk deeper with one another. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. By the way, I forgot my glasses this morning, too, so I got my backup glasses. So anybody else is just kind of a little rough getting going here this in the new year. So, um, so I'm going to be doing a lot of this. I apologize for that. So, Hey, when I was a kid, uh, one of my favorite, favorite memories of growing up, and some of, frankly, my earliest memories are going to summer Bible camp. I loved going to summer Bible camp, and I went to a couple summer Bible camps when I was a kid. Uh, the first one, uh, my first memories are at uh, uh, Luther Point in Grantsburg, Wisconsin. And then when I got a little older, my folks sent me further away up near Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, where I went to a couple other Bible camps. I got a little bit older. Uh, I went to Outlaw Ranch in South Dakota, uh, which was an awesome Bible camp. And I just loved uh, Bible camp. Um, so when I got uh, to be an adult and I uh, started serving in the church in youth ministry, one of the things I couldn't wait to do was to take uh, youth group, take youth group kids to Bible camp. And so I took kids to a couple different Bible camps, uh, one called Camp Wapagasset in Amory, Wisconsin, uh, 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 Lake Okaboji, Camp Okaboji uh, in Iowa. Um, and then I took kids, uh, youth group kids, out to Montana to a place called Camp Christicon, which is near Billings. And then I took uh, another uh, group of kids to another place called uh, Flathead Lutheran Bible Camp uh, near Kalispell, I was a, 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 a real Bible camp uh, geek, and then when our family moved uh, to the southeastern United States, I would take our youth group kids to um, a place in, uh, two places in North Carolina, uh, Luther Ridge and Luther Rock. And, and so I've been to a lot of Bible camps uh, through the years, and one of the things um, that I really loved about Bible camp uh, was just the experience, the experience of meeting Jesus there. And I have to tell you, one of the most difficult things for me, especially serving in youth ministry, is that my kids were too small to go to Bible camp. So I couldn't wait for my kids to go to Bible camp and experience all the things that I and so many of the other kids uh, were experiencing. So just one little quick story here. One, one year when we were uh, out camping uh, in uh, Montana uh, at, at uh, Flathead Lutheran Bible Camp, uh, one of our trail guides, his name was Quentin. And we called him Q. And so I came home. My wife was pregnant. I'm like, I figured out the name of our next baby. And so, I mean, this true story. So our son was actually named after one of our trail guides. I mean, this was just part of my fabric uh, and what I was so excited about. So I just, I could hardly ta almost taste it when our kids finally got to be about the age where they could go to Bible camp. So I remember saying to Logan, Logan, next summer you get to go to Bible camp. This is going to be awesome. He's like, Dad, I don't want to go to Bible camp. Now, you're going to love camp, and I hate Bible camp. 
You've never been to camp. I know, but I already hate it. So I did what every good parent does, is I forced him to go to Bible camp, right? And so um, at the end of the week, you know, I pick him up, and he's like, I hated it. It was the worst week of my life. I'm like, oh, must have, there must have just been something off. Let's try it again next summer. Dad, I don't want to go next summer. No, we're going to try it again next summer. So I forced him to go back another summer. He hated the next summer as well. I only made Q go to a summer Bible camp one summer. He hated it as well. Have you ever had something in your life where you just love it? You just love, 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 love it, and you want other people to love it. You can't force it, right? You can't force some of those things in your life that you love. I got to tell you, I love reading God's Word. For me, this is not just a hobby. This is not just a job. This is not just something I, I, I do. I love reading God's Word because it speaks to me. It informs me. It shapes me. It molds me, and it grows me. I love God's Word. And what I would love to do over the course of the next 44 weeks is take God's Word, jam it down your throat into your soul and make it stick and then just help you to love God's word like I love God's word. But I can't make you love God's word. You got to love it for yourself. But I do want to invite you over the next 44 weeks to go on this journey. And, and my hope is that over the next few weeks, months, that you begin to love God's word more and more. And not just love God's word, because it's not about the Bible, right? It's really about walking with Jesus. And as you learn and grow and learn to love God's word, I hope, I pray that you walk just a little bit deeper, a little bit closer with Jesus Christ as well. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got the Gospel of John open, let's look here at what the Bible says. The Bible begins with a header, at least in my Bible. It says, the gospel according to John. Now, I think the interesting thing is it begins with the word the. And I think that word the matters. Because notice it doesn't say a gospel according to John. It doesn't say another gospel according to John. It doesn't say one of many gospels according to John. It says the gospel according to John which ought to be a clue to us, even before we dig into God's word, that John had something very specific in mind. And what we're going to learn over the next 44 weeks, over and over and over, is that there is only one gospel. And there's different perspectives of this gospel. But the thing that the frosts and gets so many people irritated about the gospel or the story of Jesus Christ is that there's this exclusivity to it. Jesus actually has the audacity to say, there is only one way to the Father. Not all those other, not all, you know, religions lead to the same place. In fact, in John 14, this is what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so just right out of the gate, the Gospel of John, the Bible, it's offensive. It's offensive to the world because it claims this exclusivity 
that there is only one way. And Jesus is going to talk about this over and over and over. So the matters, even the header, before we get into the, into the reading this morning, it matters. Second word is the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. It means good news. Good news. And in order for something to be news, it actually has to happen. News has to happen. It's not a a fairy tale. It's not something made up. It's an actual event. It's news. It's something that happened. And not only something that happened, but that we we need to tell about it. This is what it makes it gospel or good news. This is what a, a Presbyterian pastor, uh, how he describes the word gospel. Uh, Tim Keller is his name. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Oftentimes we think the Bible is you know, get, here to give us some good advice. Advice is what we should do. News is the report at what has been done for us. This is good news. This gospel is good news. Well, what is the good news? The good news is that God came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. And he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back for my people. That's the good news. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for us. So the gospel according to to John. Again, there is only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to read is, you know, throughout the Bible, and many of you know this, I know this is a little bit remedial for some of you, but there are four perspectives. It's not four different gospels. There's one gospel, four different perspectives. And I love that we, this idea of the gospel according to John. John is just a guy. John is a guy like you and me who is reporting, who is sharing this news with others. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that God uses all sorts of people, all sorts of kinds of different people with different uh, careers, vocations, uh, farmers, uh, architects, uh, kings, prophets, uh, business people, smart people, less educated people. God uses all sorts of different kinds of people to tell his story. John just happened to be a fisherman. That was his career, his vocation. There was nothing special about John. I mean, maybe your Bible says uh, the, uh, the, the gospel according to St. John, right? You think, oh, he was a saint. No, he was not a saint, In his day, he was a screw-up over and over and over, like you and me. He needed to confess his sin, like us. John was just a normal guy. And I would imagine he talked like a fisherman. Because he was a fisherman. And that's what he did. So the gospel, the gospel according to John. Now, to give you a little bit more context here, and again, I know many of you guys know this, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are known as the Synoptic Gospels. They are the Gospels of the the story of Jesus. Synoptic simply means similar. 
They have similar chronology as you go through them, similar details, similar stories. Sometimes they even have the same words. So if you were to line up Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would go, oh, these, 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 there's a lot of overlap here. About 60% of the content in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar. There's lots and lots of overlap. And and, and they they kind of looked at one another over and over as these books were being written. And and there's this little nuances in them. Sometimes they're almost identical. Really interesting. Those are the synoptic gospels, not John. John stands on its own. John, about 90% of the content that we read in John, you will not find in the Synoptic Gospels. It's kind of a standalone, which is really interesting. And there's some good reason for that, and we'll get into that as we're going through John. But you are not going to see a lot of different overlay between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John really stands on its own. So we're going to look at John and the uniqueness of John. Now, we shouldn't be entirely surprised that John's got this uh, uh, unique content, this unique material, because John even tells us that he wasn't trying to be exhaustive. He wasn't trying to write every single detail of Jesus' life. Neither were the other gospel writers. They weren't trying to write this, let's just put everything on paper, because it it would be too much. See, somehow God knew that one day Twitter was going to be invented, that we would all have the attention span of a gnat, right? We just couldn't get through all the details of Jesus' life. So, so these writers, these gospel writers, they said, we're going to just write what we think is important, what's most important for, for us, for the church, for future generations to know who was Jesus. And so that's what John says. And he even tells us this in John 21, 25. He says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John says, yeah, I'm not trying to write everything down. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've already covered a lot of those details. I'm not going to repeat. There's just no point in it. You know, Jesus lived on this earth about 33 years. And his public ministry was only three years. And you would think, well, that's, that's not that much time. Why didn't they just write it all down? What, we don't know. But what we do know is they were not trying to be exhaustive and write every single detail down as, as they're going through. So we're not, you got to always remember that there's more to the story. There's more to Jesus' life in his three years in ministry. So the four gospel writers, there they are. You probably know them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe some kind of stained glass window uh, somewhere. Matthew was an eyewitness. He spent time. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was a tax collector. Matthew knew Jesus, and they had these conversations over and over. You've heard of Matthew, right? And we can read about Matthew in here. And so he wrote one of the Gospels. Mark was not a disciple. You're not going to read about uh, Mark in the Bible, uh, the, the guy who wrote uh, the, the particular book, the, the gospel, in terms of being a disciple. He shows up later on, but he was not one of the original disciples. So you're thinking to yourself, well, where, where did Mark get his content from? Where did Mark get his material? Why did he think he could write a gospel? Well, Mark had a good friend. His name was Peter. And so Mark and Peter hung out over and over and over. And it could very well be that Peter was illiterate and couldn't write. And maybe Mark could write. 
I mean, this, they lived in a, an illiterate uh, uh, culture. And so one day, maybe, Mark said to Peter, Hey, Pete, tell me about Jesus. And he just started writing. That's Mark. Then there's Luke. Luke did not meet, that we know of, he didn't meet Jesus. He was not a disciple of Jesus. He was a contemporary of Jesus. But Luke had a good friend, a guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Luke traveled with Paul. Luke is the same guy that also wrote the book of Acts. And so we see Luke's writing in the book of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And he's getting most of his content, or a lot of his content, um, um, from the Apostle Paul. But what Luke, when he starts out his gospel, his writing, the narrative of Jesus' life, he says, here's what I did, is I talked to a lot of people. I talked to a lot of eyewitnesses, people who actually saw the miracles, people who listened uh, to all the teachings of Jesus. Luke tells us straight up, I, was, I wasn't there. I was not an eyewitness, but I talked to a lot of people, some of who have died, some are still alive, and if you don't don't believe me, go talk to him. And so then Luke wrote down, Luke was an educated guy. He was known as a doctor. Interesting thing about Luke is he was probably not Jewish. He was probably a Gentile. He probably was, you know, a a, a Gentile Christian. So he had a very different angle, a very different lens, a very different worldview. And he really kind of had this Greek understanding of the world. That's Luke. And then we get to John. John was a disciple of Jesus. John, many scholars think he was like the youngest guy. So if there were a group of guys in their 20s and 30s, John might have even been a teenager or early 20s. He was a young guy. And he spent time with Jesus over and over and over. And maybe as you've read the Gospels before, you've heard this, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus somewhere. So he wasn't just a disciple of Jesus. He was a close follower of Jesus. And six times in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which sounds a little weird, right? I mean, come on. When you're referring to yourself, you're like, yeah, I hung out, you're, you know, that, that, that guy who um, Jesus loved, and you're referring to yourself. It's just kind of a weird way to talk about yourself. I think what John is not, I, I don't think he's saying, hey, Jesus, you know, didn't love me more. But I think what John is saying is my identity is in the love of Jesus Christ. And I think John is telling us that he had a close relationship with Jesus, that John and Jesus might have been best friends, at least according to John. What he's saying is, he was my bestie. We, we, we hung out. And so as John is sitting down to write this gospel that happened a long, long time prior, John is writing this now as an old man. He's looking back 50, maybe 60 years earlier during those three years of ministry, and he's recalling and remembering, and he's, he's told these stories so many times, and he wants to get it down on paper and explain who Jesus was. One of the things I love about the Gospel of John is just how accessible it is. It's just so accessible for you and for me and for everybody in the world. This is what St. Augustine wrote about uh, the Gospel of John. John is deep enough for an elephant to jump in, 
and shallow enough for a child not to drown. Isn't that great? So if you're, not, if, if you're new to Bible study and reading the Gospel of John, it's written for you. If you've been going to Sunday school for a long time and studying Scripture, some of you studied, uh, went to Sunday school with Noah. I know, right? Anybody go to Sunday school with Noah? You've been studying the Bible a long, long time? It's written for you as well. You know, I once had a buddy in college uh, who was uh, in a Bible study with me. And uh, he's since fallen away from the church and fallen away from God. And back in the day, he was really into God's Word and walking with Jesus. And he once shared, I've read the Bible. I know everything that's in there. I think he's missed it. Because if St. Augustine says this can be read over and over and over, it's deep enough for an elephant to jump in. In other words... If you want to jump into the Gospel of John and look for the bottom, you'll never find the bottom of the pool. That's how deep the Gospel of John is. I love that imagery that we can paddle around, splash around in the kiddie pool of John. We can go in this deep, deep waters of John. So, so do, it, those of you who have studied John before, if you think, oh, I know everything about John, I want to challenge you. I think there's some stuff you don't know about John. There's, some, there's a lot of stuff I don't know about John. Another great quote about the Gospel of John comes from Martin Luther. He says this, If all the books of the Bible, save John and Romans, were stolen away, Christianity would be okay. Isn't that great? It's that great reminder of just how much is in John, how comprehensive it is. Because what John does is it tells us who was Jesus. And then the book of Romans tells us why, why Jesus came into the world and what the work of Jesus has done for our lives. The structure of John, it's both complicated and simple. I've talked about this a little bit. There are some components as we go through John that are uh, not linear, uh, that make it a little bit difficult, and some of the structure of it is just a little bit challenging. So it's a little bit, it can be a little bit complicated, but one of the things I love about John is it is also remarkably simple. It's simple in its purpose statement. Why does this book even exist? Why why did John even bother writing this? So John tells us, he gives us the purpose statement uh, in the gospel. I wish all the writers of the Bible gave us a purpose statement. They don't. Sometimes you read a book in the Bible and you're like, yeah, I don't get it. Why did they even write that? What's going on? John tells us. He tells us why he wrote this. And it's recorded in John 20. Um, uh, verse 30 and 31. And in case you forget, uh, we put it on the cover of your uh, Bible reading plan. This is what John says. This is at the end, toward the end of the gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these... These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. See, what John is telling us is this is not a book about tips and tricks for parenting. 
John is not telling us, hey, this is all sorts of self-help advice for you to, to live your best life ever. That's not why I wrote this. He says, the reason why I wrote this, the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus Christ, is it so that you believe, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and not just that you would believe, that, that belief would leave you and lead you to life. So there's this story early on where Jesus, before he's even gathered with his disciples, he meets this guy by the name of Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel, hey, follow me. And they have this exchange back and forth. And then in John 1.50, it says this, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see even greater things than that. And then a little later on, Jesus is having another conversation with another guy, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, one of the most famous stories in the Gospel of John. And he reminds him, and you guys know this, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus, it is about believing in me. A little while later, Jesus is having a conversation with John the Baptist. We know John the Baptist. By the way, not the same John that we're talking about here. Uh, I know it's a little bit confusing. Two Johns. Uh, John the disciple, John the Baptist. Two different guys. But Jesus is having a conversation with John the Baptist. And after John is trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy, Jesus says in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And then the Gospel of John continues on, where Jesus is having a conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. And he says to her, you know, it goes back and forth. It's one of the longer narratives, and we'll get to it in a couple weeks. And and, then she has this this incredible uh, story, this this life transformation. And she starts following Jesus, and she goes and tells other people about Jesus. Again, she tells them about the news that this, this life has come. And John 4 says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And then Jesus has a conversation with a a royal official, probably not a Jewish guy, but just some guy. They had this great exchange, and he says, hey, would you heal my son? And Jesus says, all right. And this is what it says. Then the father realized that the exact time which Jesus had uh, said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believe. We see this word believe come up over and over and over. Jesus walks on water. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then he looks at his disciples and says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never grow thirsty. Jesus heals a blind man. Then the blind man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Later on in Jesus' life, he has this this conversation with a group of people because his good friend Lazarus died. And everybody's upset, and Jesus is like, I'll get there eventually. And you guys know this story. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But before he does, he has this prayer to God, this reminder. 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew you always hear me. But I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may may believe that you sent me. And then on the very last night before Jesus is arrested, he's having the, the, the Passover meal, the Seder meal with his disciples. And he's explaining to them one more time who he is and his purpose for coming. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Jesus is claiming to be God here. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. So several times he talks about, guys, you need to believe in me. Because that's why God sent me. My father sent me into this world. And if they still didn't get it at that point in time, dinner's done, still doing dishes. Jesus looks at the guys and and he starts this prayer. It's known as the high priestly prayer. And so he's praying to God. My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me and I and you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And if you've still missed it, at the very end of John's gospel, he tells us again, here's the purpose statement, folks. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have, you may have eternal life in his name. Believe. This is why John wrote this gospel, so that we might believe. The word believe in the gospel of John shows up 98 times. That's a lot. That's almost half of all the times the word believe shows up in the entire New Testament. John is obsessed with this idea, this concept of believing. He says, that's why I wrote this, so that the world will believe. And I I think we sometimes think to ourselves, what does it actually mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean that uh, God sent Jesus into the world? And sometimes when we, we hear this word believe, We just think that something is true, like a a math problem. Two plus two equals four. Anybody believe that? That's not believing. That's just a fact, you know, or an algebra problem. Does anyone believe that X equals 14? That takes no belief. That's just a fact. That's not believing in the math. That's just true. Or... We think to ourselves, I believe Chicago Bears are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Anybody believing that? Anybody believing in the Chicago? Anybody believing in the Green Bay Packers this year? No. That's not believing. That's hoping. That's wishing. That's fantasy that the Bears are going to win this year, right? But we use this word believe. Oh, I I believe it. I believe it. I believe the Bears. I believe, you know, whatever football team or sports team you follow, I believe they're going to win. I believe in this team. That's wishful thinking. That's hoping for something. That is not believing. What uh, What John is talking about in his gospel, believe. The Greek word is pistuo. 
And you see lots and lots of uh, versions of this word coming up over and over and over. Everybody say pistuo. Pistuo, yeah. Pistuo is a verb. It's what we do. So to believe, pistuo, it's got two, two components to it. It's to consider something to be true, right? So that there's this mental, this, this thinking about something, this considering, this studying, to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of our trust. So there's this idea of I'm going to study it, I'm going to analyze it, I'm going to think about it, I'm going to believe it, right? But then there's this second component, to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. See, this, I think, is what we oftentimes miss when it comes to this idea of believing, pistuo, this idea that believing means not to just think about something. I believe in something, but it means to actually do something with that belief, to live into that belief. There's an action item to it. It's it's kind of a two-step process. And here, I want to give you an example. So here's a chair. How many of you believe, believe that is a chair? Everybody's hand should be up right now, unless you're sleeping. All right, come back from your nap. Stay with me. We're wrapping up here. Yeah, I mean, we all believe that is a chair, right? How many of you trust that chair? How many of you would sit in that chair? How many of you believe in that chair? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. I mean, that's just just not trustworthy, right? So we can believe that it is a chair, but we don't believe in that chair. This is the differentiation in pistuo. It's not just the idea that we believe, uh, you know, that, that, that this, this is a Bible, that Jesus maybe actually lived, you know, that this is a, a, a lectern or a podium or a, a pulpit, whatever you want, but we actually believe in it, that we're going to lean into it and live into it and actually trust it. In 1859, there was a guy by the name of Charles uh, Blondin. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, If you ever go to these Ripley's Believe It or Not, you'll see Charles Blondin. And he was kind of one of these artists who did some crazy things and liked to get attention from people. And so in the summer of 1859, uh, he strung a a wire across Niagara Falls. And uh, he walked across Niagara Falls. It's about a quarter of a mile. Uh, If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know you don't want to fall off that wire, right? And so he walked across there, and crowds started gathering. They're like, ooh, ah, and and, and blonde. You know, it was was awesome. Nobody ever done this before. Nobody had ever walked across Niagara Falls uh, on this high wire. And he really drew a name for himself. Well, he did it a couple times back and forth between the United States and Canada. And people were like, well, now what? So Blondin's like, well, let me try something else. And so he put this big um, uh, sack on his back and he walked across Niagara Falls with his sack on his back. And people were like, wow, that's pretty neat. And so then Blondin started walking across back and forth. He's always trying to up one himself, right? So then he, had to, he wanted to walk across uh, on stilts. And he's walking across Niagara Falls on stilts. One time he even walked across Niagara Falls uh, with an oven and he's frying an omelet. Um, walking across back and forth. Another time uh, he, he's going over um, uh, in a wheelbarrow. 
He got to the other side and he's like, okay, now I'm going to walk backwards with the wheelbarrow. And he walked back across Niagara Falls with his wheelbarrow. And everybody's going, this guy is just amazing. And they watched him go back and forth with all these different props. And he's kind of up in his game over and over and over. Finally, uh, it was July 15th, 1859. He'd done this bunches of times and the crowds are gathering and they're watching. They're like, what is Blondin going to do next? And so he puts on a blindfold. He walks across Niagara Falls backwards in a wheelbarrow. And people are just out of their minds. How does this guy do it? He is amazing. They're chanting his name. Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. And he fi- finally the cry gets the crowd nice and settled down. You know, he's, he's a showman, Right? And he looks at the crowd and he says, hey, do you think I could put a person in this wheelbarrow? And the crowd starts chanting, we believe, we believe, we believe. And this chanting is going on and on. He's like, hey, calm down, calm down. Finally, things quiet down. And Blondin looks at the crowd and says, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Can I get a volunteer? You know, not a single person got in the wheelbarrow that day. They had watched him go back and forth many times with many different props. And they even shouted at the top of their lungs, we believe. But did they believe? Not according to the definition, the gospel of John, this idea, this Greek word, pistuo, to actually put our faith, our belief into action. That's what John's talking about when he's talking about believing. You're like, I don't know. I feel like I mess up a lot. Well, you're in good company because what we're going to read for the next 44 weeks is the disciples mostly got it wrong. Over and over and over, they would say they believed, but they just never put their faith, their belief into action. In fact, spoiler alert, this is how the Gospel of John ends. Jesus and Peter are having a conversation. Peter had denied Jesus several times. And Jesus says, I forgive you. It's a beautiful story of a guy, Peter, the Apostle Peter, this disciple who got it wrong. And Jesus forgave him and said, Peter, Pete, I'm giving you another chance at this, to believe in me and to make disciples of all nations. So how do we do this over the next 44 weeks? We're going to really live into this idea of what it means to believe, what it means to pistuo, what it means to actually trust and live our lives as Jesus has called us to. So I dare you to come back next week to continue to have perfect worship attendance, uh, to tune in online, uh, to continue with this journey as we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and invite Jesus Christ to reveal to us, to speak to us, and help us to walk deeper in what it means to believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God uh, who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, you um, came into this world and did amazing things, but your most spectacular thing that, God, we still don't, can't get our minds around is that you rose from the grave. 
And so, God, as we journey through John together as a congregation this year, as a community, as a family, God, dwell among us richly. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. May we offer grace uh, to one another when we get it wrong, what it means to believe. But God, challenge us. Challenge us to get into the wheelbarrow, to actually put our belief, our belief in you into action. Because that's what you've called us to do. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.